0: Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror and media. And tonight, we're kicking off the new season, season four Woo! of the podcast, and we're going to explain a little more about why we're doing that, but my name is Jonathan.
1: My name's Justine.
0: And so, we decided that with a few changes that are coming to the podcast, and because we've taken a little bit of a break to be able to catch our breath, we can what we wanted to talk about, that we would go back to what we were doing in the beginning, which was a double feature Mm -hmm. and so what we're going to be talking about is The Wailing from 2016 and The Medium from 2021. Both horror films both dealing with international directors and they're dealing with sort of your spirituality horror mix and so we wanted to talk about both of them.
1: Yeah really exciting stuff that we're going to be discussing today. This has been in the works for a little bit of time. Uh, We watched these movies a few weeks ago but uh You know, as you can tell, we've been going through a lot of changes. We're down two hosts than what we had before.
0: Right. So the dynamic of what you're listening to is going to change pretty drastically. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to use the time to sort of reintroduce ourselves so people know who we are. And so something to clarify is that Justine and I have been in a relationship for... What, like over three years now?
1: Yeah, almost four. (laughs)
0: Almost four years now. And we have these conversations constantly about movies. We watch almost everything together. We binge watch just about every TV show and movie together. And so these conversations are going to take that tone where Mm -hmm. it's very casual and comfortable. And it's just going to be us two for the most part.
1: Yeah, and we have a little bit of contextual knowledge to go off of for our conversations. As Jonathan, you are working on your master's degree in film right now from SDSU and I am also working on a bachelor's of fine arts and dance for SDSU but I have spent some time studying film myself doing my own choreographic and film works as well so I have a little background knowledge to support there but I've been a lover of the arts since I was young I've been a visual artist a music artist performance artist and the list goes on. I have a general appreciation for art right. and what people can create well, out of their Well, this fuels like
0: our critical analysis of what we discussed, which is mostly the the why they've decided to make something this yeah. way. And this is really what the deep conversations that we get into about why would it be made this way? Why are they Mm -hmm. doing these things? And
1: it's interesting because we still come from different perspectives. You have a much more analytical perspective to things. or I have sort of a subtextual uh, feeling sense of what I'm looking at.
0: Well, it makes sense. My my degree, my bachelor's degree is specifically in critical analysis of media. And Mm so... In my case, it was for film and um, popular media, um, specifically in regards to filmmaking, movie making, things like that. Mm -hmm. So it can be applied to pretty much any art form, which is why we were interested in discussing comics, video games, anything that included the horror genre.
1: Right. And in my degree, the practice and study that we do is largely theoretical and somatic based approach to dance. So what that means is not necessarily only looking at the technical aspect of the movement, but looking at the emotional motivators, the inner sense of what's happening during the dance. And so putting yourself into someone else's shoes empathically through a dance.
0: There is is a method of critical analysis which is similar to that Mm -hmm. in which they will ask people how does something you're watching make you feel which is not something people are typically used to and will deal with when they're watching any sort of popular media but you and I do constantly and Uh we're usually stricken or like really have emotional changes when we're watching things i'm easy to cry yeah <laughs> i mean anything.
1: i am too and i try to be a tough guy and not cry most of the time but sometimes when i'm alone yeah. it's i try not to waterworks. cry in the theater
0: you know but like i still do it anyway. i i see you i see you streaming <laughs> tears my eyes
1: silently <laughs> there's
0: always some of those movies that are gonna get you yeah um but what we're looking to do is continue the podcast with just us two. So the tone might change a little bit for anybody who's been listening to us for the past few years. Mm-hmm. But we're going to be able to get more in depth with some of the topics. And we're looking to discuss more than just the horror genre. We're yeah. looking to discuss a lot more different genres because we do, in fact, watch a variety of films. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'd originally chosen horror was because I felt like it was underrepresented in a critical analysis uh, sphere. Yeah. As in people didn't think there was much substance to horror films, whereas now we have sort of a modern renaissance of horror films which we've talked about includes yeah. like Jordan Peele
1: and I think something that always drew me to horror is sort of the darker element of human psychology yes. that is fully on display in horror because in most movies you see the lighter side of things the heroic uh, side of humanity but what about the anti-heroes what about yeah. the villains what about the evil that exists in the world i like to see that and explore that through film i find it interesting because i cannot
0: relate necessarily myself you know right these are also films that people might avoid outright yeah some people just because don't they enjoy make enjoy them feel films. uncomfortable yeah. <laughs> because these are
1: hard things to watch and hard things to talk about but it's precisely why i like talking about them yeah. because of that human connection that's really on display there but it only it doesn't only exist in horror especially considering that horror is sort of blending into a lot of other genres nowadays. Yeah. You
0: have You getting subgenres uh, out of
1: it. yeah, sci-fi's and fantasies of like little bits of subtle horror in them, you know. It's hard to escape horror yeah. at this point.
0: Sci-fi is one of my favorites because I feel like you can have every other genre inside of sci-fi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can have pretty much all of them. But mm-hmm. we're going to the reason why I wanted to do a double feature was because these two films are very similar. Mm-hmm. They deal with horror, they deal with spiritualism folklore mysticism that also gets combined with the horror and so we'll start with The Wailing which came out in 2016 and it's directed and written by Hong Jin he's known for his other films The Chaser The Yellow Sea um, both which came out in like the 2010s Um, He's extremely successful in South Korea So really well known in South Korea Not so much in the United States But that's just because the markets outside of the United States Don't usually grow outside of their own countries right? Which makes sense because the United States dominates When it comes to filmmaking Mm -hmm. Um, It's a Korean horror film uh, Written and directed by Na Hongjin And it centers around a policeman Investigating a series of mysterious killings and illnesses In a remote village uh, in Korea, which is uh, the village that he's actually from. So he oh. is familiar with this village and n- he went and found it so that he'd be able to film something like That's this.
1: That's interesting. I wonder if he had ever seen anything kind of spooky when he was younger growing up and if it had motivated uh, him in his later life, one in his way of faith and also in creating this movie yeah
0: he did describe that the area that he uh was visiting or that he was filming in had this aspect about it that he was not sure what it meant in most cases he felt like the entire area was alive Mm -hmm. and that he would get some feelings off of being in that location which You can have sort of descriptions like this in spiritualism where if you enter a certain area or space, you might get a certain response based on like the type of energy that you feel there.
1: And we could get into a really interesting conversation about uh, plant consciousness and how we're able to interact with the consciousness of plants and thus they are able to interact with us. And so certain areas of the forest may have more of a wicked sense because the personality of the plants in the area carries a more heavy
0: energy yeah
1: it's something we can talk about in a later episode i'm sure well
0: so there's obviously going to be people who who up front are like that's mumbo jumbo i don't believe in that yeah (laughs) who are just like that obviously doesn't influence the sort of feeling that you get but as far as creative storytelling and what he's trying to imagine who would be like in a certain area uh-huh. it is a method that makes sense but also it ties in people's real beliefs and spirituality
1: right because in the beginning um they talk a little bit i think it was actually in the second movie in the medium yeah. they talk a little bit about animism but yeah that comes into play in this movie as well and that there is a spirit and an energy in every being and every living thing in the forest, in the village, even the non-living things, even a car, even a house can have a spirit attached to it.
0: Yeah, the way he described it was the sense of a quote-unquote living nature, spirituality that radiated from the area. For example, when you lie still on the grass and look at the mountain, it feels like it's going to move. That's his description of the area. He was kind of scared of being in a certain area, whether it was from family trauma or things that had happened in his past, but Mm -hmm. something about the area scared him and he tried to translate that into the film that he made. Um, What's interesting is that the original title was uh, Seong, which is the Korean word for whale. And so the title was changed and then it became the wailing, but the official definition of a whale is the lamenting sound people make in mourning someone's death. So this kind of sets you up for the tone Mm -hmm. of the film. And so this is kind of what leads you into the beginning of it. And so he began writing the the film after he experienced several deaths in his family, including his close friends and some family members. He wrote it to deal with his feelings and um, all the feelings of the deaths and sort of the aftermath of what happens when you continue living. In some cases, people become, they feel guilty about surviving some of their family or friends. And I feel like some of that appears in the film. Yeah, and he also definitely. has to deal with the fact that their presence is not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And he's having to deal with that like emptiness that's showing up. So that's kind of like what fed his his feelings to give you the tone and sense of the movie. Yes. As far as budget, it was uh, $8 million and it came in at around $51 million. And that's in South Korea alone. So like, there are other numbers that are combined into that. But The uh, movie did pretty well. It did really well, which is why it's so so successful in the film industry in South Korea.
1: And something that's interesting I've noticed is I feel like horror movies that come out never really gross that much when it comes to box office revenue, in America at least. Um, I feel like Americans don't like horror movies as much as some other people do because I've noticed... I think horror movies and horror media in general seems to be more common. I've seen in like South Korea, like there's a ton of shows that have elements of supernatural, elements of fantasy, elements of horror that exist within their show, but it's much more casual there than it is here.
0: Yeah, I would argue that the... TV sh- uh, horror show has become very popular in the United States, specifically because of Netflix yeah. and streaming services that produce stuff like we were watching "A uh, Devil in Ohio." Yeah, um, Which on Netflix, is awful number one. We'll talk about it at some point, yeah. but like we wanted to know why it was number one. I in don't get it. Netflix, and so far we are not really that impressed. Granted, we have close to three years of watching horror films and analyzing yeah. them, so it's it's kind of a hard. Measure, you we're know, kind like, of snob, yeah. I might be kind of a, a horror movie snob after watching certain things, but but yeah, we were curious about it. As far as casting, um, it stars uh, a few main people so you have uh Quack Don Quack Do Wan, Huang Jung Min, Chun Wo He, and Jun Kunimara, and these are going to be the main characters, um, of uh Hyo Jin, uh, Il Gwang, uh, Mu Young, and the stranger. Which is referring to, I believe, the old, the older person, yeah. And so, uh, there are plenty of other people in the film, but they're all kind of like side characters. And mainly follows this main person. Um, one of the important things to note, at least for what we're doing, is it has a very high score on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: Yeah, didn't it have an almost perfect score. Yeah, it's got
0: ninety nine percent. Jeez. Um, and it's won over thirty different awards because of this claim. So, very highly awarded very people like really responded well to it so i wanted to talk about it and start first with what were your impressions of the film like did anything stand out to you
1: i think one of the first things to really stand out to me was the setting because i oftentimes don't get to see role settings in other countries yes I usually see if it's a rule setting, it's like the Midwest, like Midwest. <laughs> cornfields. <laughs> yeah. We're you obsessed know the with the
0: Midwest in the United States.
1: It's creepy, if I'm being honest. Yeah. There's something very isolating about being in the Midwest. But um, it was interesting to see this isolated mountain village in the film. Yeah, it's kind of foggy. It's kind of sleepy but I always love when horror movies happen in small towns like this because it's such a shock, you know? Us living in big cities, we're used to crimes, murders, and shootings happening every single day. It's not a big deal to us at this point, but in small villages like that, if somebody gets murdered in really suspicious circumstances, everyone's going to talk about it. Everyone in the town's going to know about it and everyone's not going to know what to think about it or what to do about it
0: yeah um i mean i kind of like both ends of these um i love horror films that are in heavily populated areas Mm because then you get some surreal things happening but i also love what you're mentioning the rural areas such as the horror films that show up in like a farm in the middle of nowhere um in this case seeing something in a different country you get to see a really lush landscape and so they didn't really have to do much to change the setting. They mm-hmm. kind of just showed up on location and got permissions and filmed it. So you do get a sense of the history of the area. Mm-hmm. They're not lying to you about how old this house is. Right. <laughs> so like there are some histories to what you're watching. And in most cases, these horror stories or like um uh, fantasy stories that they're putting together is based off of real folklore from the area
1: um this brings up another thought that i had about the whaling was i really admired um the general setup of the town this is something i don't see too often is homes that are they have like a central courtyard they're more communal living spaces than anything else which i don't see too often in most films and it kind of gives this interesting element of lack of privacy when it comes to the setting because everything's so open and on display for everybody you could easily see what someone's doing in their room yeah
0: just family relations is mm-hmm. going to be different we're we're raised in the united states where privacy is like the utmost concern so every single person has their own room right as opposed to sleeping in a communal area or with multiple people yeah and so that changes a whole lot about how you feel about their house setup, mm-hmm. which is what you usually will see like in South Korea, Japanese, Chinese Right, films. and
1: then also having like a central social space that everyone yeah. can easily access sort of brings more of that sense of community. And so it further emphasized when something happens to somebody, everybody's involved with it, even if they're not directly involved. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Jonathan, what does this film say about faith and spirituality? I noticed that the film had started with an epigraph of a Bible quote. Um, I believe it was Luke 24,
0: 37, 39. Yeah. Uh, The quote is kind of wild. This is like one of those quotes that gets pulled out of the Bible pretty often, and people will use it as explanations, epigraphs, things like that. Um, If you're not familiar with it, it says, They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and See? And ghost does not, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. This is when Jesus approaches his apostles after rising from the dead. Mm-hmm. And so this is supposed to set up a feeling and tone for the movie, just like any epigraph will for an essay.
1: Yeah, there's sort of this sense of uncertainty yeah. and not knowing whom to trust. Yeah, All the, throughout this yeah. story, it kind of keeps throwing you on loops up until the very end. And you really don't know who the real antagonist is really till the last couple of seconds
0: yeah it really makes you wait up until the end for this specific epigraph in most cases you're very religious um like say if you're a practicing christian yeah um the reading you're supposed to get from this is that you must have a certain amount of faith to be able to believe in what had happened And in this case if you see something before you it has to be real
1: yeah um this reminds me of a scene in the film which will Discuss more in depth later, but there is a shaman that comes in to help the main character. And when they're discussing the possibility of a ghost that had been haunting them, essentially. um, And one of them suspects that it could be this stranger, this man that shows up in the village. And the shaman asks him, do you think that everything that appears in front of you is flesh and bone is a human or are they a ghost? Yeah something along the lines of that
0: well yeah just because in folklore for many other cultures a ghost can in fact appear to be real yeah and in some cases touch you right so he's essentially saying well are you sure like that you saw something or that you saw a ghost and so this immediately questions you as the viewer of who can you trust and can you actually trust what's on screen yeah which has always been used as a good narrative thing as far as story story making goes that you then create an unreliable narrator both in the character and yourself like you don't know who you can trust exactly and this gives you a good setup for just showing you crazy things yeah like are they actually there are they not there and then um i think in a lot of ways it's asking you to take a lot of things on faith and i think it is kind of on purpose Mm -hmm. um i know the director is a practicing christian so do you think that had any influence on the film Oh, yeah. I mean, I absolutely. feel like he included a bunch of stuff in there.
1: Uh, what was interesting is I think both of the films we're going to talk about were directed by Christian directors. Yeah. But they're talking primarily about traditional shamanism and the relationship between the two of them.
0: Yeah. Well, they also deal with aspects of um, Korean spirituality and, and Buddhism.
1: Yeah. Specifically in the way of uh, shamanistic rituals yes. are things that you see happen in both of these films. Um hmm i'd really need to know a little bit more about the relationship with christianity and koreans when exactly it was spread to the country but in some ways i would say that there's probably a lot of uh pushback against christianity as it's seen as somewhat of a more modern take on religion
0: yeah well in many ways people consider it uh, um, a colonist
1: I mean, it is.
0: A colonist religion that they don't want to assimilate to.
1: Right, exactly. But there's a lot of people that have found faith and salvation through the religion. And so um, I think that's definitely something they're calling upon here is where do you put your faith? Do you put your faith in your tradition or do you put your faith into what you experience?
0: I felt the same way too. I felt like what he was uh trying to put into the film was his own battle with did he want to continue to be a practicing christian after losing so many people yeah um because the christian or the catholic reasoning for why i think these things happen is because god wanted it that way right so how do you then deal with the fact that the reason why your friend died is because god wanted him Mm -hmm. to join him in heaven and what does that mean for you? Like, is God being selfish. Am I being selfish by wanting my friend back? Right. And so you then have the opposite or may, not really opposite, but a different belief where some people think that after someone's passed, they're still around. They yeah. may take on forms of ghosts. Their spirits will stay around. People pray to them mm-hmm. and will offer up food and other um, prayers and incense and things like that to, cause they acknowledge that their spirit is still there. Mm-hmm. And so I think he was battling with those two things. Um, It's hard, I think, to condemn certain things because if somebody has found some happiness and some relief in being a part of a religion, I'd really hate to tell somebody not to do that. But in some cases, people turn away from religion because they don't think the reasoning makes sense. They don't like the idea that a god would take something from them like that. Yeah. And so in many ways, people will kind of remove themselves from that belief. Um, I'm not really super religious uh, but on the other end I'm very spiritual I would I've been moving that direction cuz it makes more sense mm-hmm. for me and I'm also really superstitious <laughs> Yeah I know Could just be a ton of stories that I've read a lot of folklore that I might know but like any like literally any superstitious thing you can think of I'm like oh no I got to do the thing Well
1: you've had a few ghost encounters <laughs> when you were younger I think I have I think Would you like to share any for our listeners
0: I mean it's just been like so I feel like they were mostly when I was younger yeah. Um. Um. It could possibly be because my mom might be more inclined to be able to see things, mm-hmm. um, and or like feel the the kind of like atmosphere change, um, if something is showing up. Because I don't doubt that there's things around us that we can't explain. Yeah. Which is going to be whether it's spirits, um, entities that kind of show up from things. Um, and that makes sense to me because it makes sense that everything has an energy and you're able to move out of that. But when I was a kid, I. Uh, remember seeing um i don't know how else to explain it but people will will agree to it that they see like a shadow person essentially and -hmm. like this has been explained and turned into like urban legends you know yeah like you'll see that in most cases it's a hat man (laughs) it's Uh a guy with a hat and Uh he's wearing all black um i did not see a hat man but i did see what i thought to be a shadow person in a hallway Mm -hmm. um show up um it did happen a lot i think in my grandma's house yeah. Um, I think specifically because someone died on the front porch. Oh, um, shoot. Um, it was an old man who died in his rocking chair. So it wasn't like a violent death. Yeah. He just like died of old age, but it's his house. So I don't think he wanted to leave. Right. <laughs> and so I think he hung out. Um, you know, I, I could swear that I could hear the rocking of the chair, uh-huh. which is like really creaky. Uh, we don't have the chair anymore, but oh, um, that's weird. Uh, well, I think there was the original chair, and then there was another one that my grandma had. Um, but too many people got their toes squished <laughs> underneath no. the rocky chair, so we had to get rid of it. Because uh, uh, yeah, I definitely had my toes squished like that. But yeah, I feel like I've had enough things happen. But I also feel like it would be kind of like negligent to just be like, "Nah, we exist by ourselves here on this plane." Yeah, without honestly, anything else.
1: because you would be discredit discrediting hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people who have had supernatural encounters. Yeah. And what are all of those people just crazy? Were they all just hallucinating? Well, there's the
0: argument that there's uh, a a psychosomatic response to certain um like traumas like yeah. because you've gone through this you are then creating something in your head but like you mentioned it's too many people yeah oh uh, that it's are just experiencing like the ufos like thing yes like that was how one can my you favorites.
1: discredit these strange uh aircraft that we keep seeing when literally thousands of people yeah. i've seen them in like broad daylight
0: yeah. and i know i'm not crazy <laughs> the, this one's always a hard one too because you have like official entities like government entities uh agreeing that there are certain things that have happened that they can't explain yeah so like declassified files they've done like an insane amount of research into certain things they're even
1: right now doing a campaign to sort of bring more validity to ufo research well they actually renamed it to uaps in order to kind of give it more credibility Because it's kind of been made a joke for so long. If you start talking about UFOs and supernatural things, oh, you're the crazy tinfoil hat Well, they changed
0: the naming, too. We discussed this before.
1: Yeah, but they did that intentionally in order to get people to take them more seriously because I guess whatever is going on right now that we don't know about, it's gotten so serious to the point where there needs to be like more government action, government funding behind these research teams, behind these defense teams against whatever these UAPs are right. doing, are well, bringing. There are,
0: there are people who look to deal with conspiracy theories in a realist way. Yeah. Um, so if you're interested in stuff like that, I'd highly recommend going to listen to uh, The Stuff They Don't Want You to Know Yeah. on Spotify, podcast. which is part of the Stuff You Should Know network. So if you like the podcast stuff, you should know. There's a group of guys who talk about conspiracy theories, but from a very realistic perspective. And they'll break it down and give you like good arguments for either side. Um, and so this is kind of something that you should definitely go listen to. And there's other ones that deal with spirituality and and things like that. There's uh, the lore podcast, which is also very cool. So these are kind of things I would recommend. What this does make me think about, though, is something that they question in the movie. There's this shaman who has a quote about fishing, and he mentions that you know sometimes demons aren't looking for someone specific. Sometimes they're just fishing, and they catch whoever gets on the line. And so this made me think about it is... evil and chaos random like does it random in the world or are they actually looking for someone
1: You know, it's funny. I remember having a conversation with a customer in my shop. I work at a crystal metaphysical shop. So you can imagine we have some interesting conversations. And we were talking specifically about our religious trauma and how that had influenced our perspective on things, our outlook on some of the most simple things that I wouldn't even have thought to associate with religious trauma until I got older and more aware. But one of those things is... The notion that if bad things happen to you, it is because you are being punished because you did something wrong. You did something sinful. And so people have grown up, been growing up, being told that all the time. Like You can't do sins because you'll be punished in hell. And so in our waking life, too, if bad things start happening all around us, we say it's some sort of um, judgment that's being passed against us. We deserve it because we did something. But, you know, that brings in the idea of good and evil but to be honest good and evil is a subjective concept and doesn't actually exist
0: yeah to whomever you're thinking of like what are your parameters for like each one right
1: and as much as there is order in the world order cannot exist without also chaos to emerge from yeah and so therefore i do believe that bad things happen kind of just at random sometimes people are in the wrong place at the wrong time it's not some sort of divine lesson it's not some sort of karma being yeah. paid it is simply bad luck bad timing yeah. i definitely believe in bad luck yeah
0: i think people sometimes get bad luck like yeah like a lot of times no so, definitely
1: i don't think it has to do with anything unless yeah. maybe there is a family curse which we'll talk about in a uh, later yeah when we talk about the other film yeah um but no yeah
0: i think that's the case for this film though the way that the narrative plays out to me it seems like they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time right that like uh so spoiler the guy the japanese man the stranger that they're talking about he's an oni demon yeah right like he's yeah they don't expli- like they don't explicitly say it but and at the you end you don't know until the very very right. very end of the movie which is fantastic yeah like i love it just the great so, creature so reveal. the reveal is that he is an oni demon who is actively looking for people to cannibalize <laughs> so he's, he wants to eat them and drink their blood And continue to do this and live in the mountain
1: He's just hunting He's trying you know. to survive like any other creature would Right. I don't think a, a bear sits upon a river And looks for the perfect fish, fish to catch yeah, I think he just goes yeah, and exactly. catches the first fish that he can
0: Um. I, so what's interesting too about the Oni folklore Is that they often don't Uh. They get changed into this creature Because of something significant like, something terrible usually befalls them. Right. And then they get so enraged that they get empowered. And then they change. They physically change. And then they're stuck in right. the state. And then they have to do things like eat people, drink blood, do whatever. Which is why you'll often find them secluded. Right. On their own. They don't want to be bothered. But in this case, he was he was looking for people. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I think probably what his story is, and this is all just speculation. Yeah. There's not a whole lot to point to this in the film. But given that he is a very powerful shaman as an oni i feel like he wouldn't really have a need for rituals he would just use his pure strength
0: yeah but
1: i believe when he was a human he was also a shaman and so yeah. that translated over into him becoming an oni and i think he became an oni because he was doing so much dark magic against people that it had corrupted him oh interesting well, and turned well, him into that a creature a
0: concept that like Within your own body, you will collect like the key energy, yeah. which can be both good or bad, which is why they have so right. many areas you can cleanse yourself
1: at. Uh-huh. Or rather, it can be stable and unstable. There you go. And so he reached a point where his chi, his key, was too yeah. unstable, and it had transformed him into something that was monstrous in I do like eyes. that interpretation of it. Yeah.
0: What, so I think what I... I do like that element of the story, but what I think... Is that unless you know these things about certain folklore, you won't necessarily understand what's happening in the film right I think it's well made. I think the film is like amazing in its pacing uh-huh. to be able to show you the story of him arriving oh, I'm sorry of the um, the detective showing up like for the story his relationship to his daughter like how is he gonna be uh, figuring out the deaths and the killings and whatnot mm-hmm. which is like everybody loves following a detective yeah who's trying to figure something out and he himself is not a perfect uh-huh. person
1: but going back to what you were saying about the folklore aspect yeah you have to kind of know these things to have an idea yeah is i think because this is a foreign film this was made for korea yeah I do believe they do that know koreans yeah they yeah. know their folklore and they have they're more in touch with their folklore than a lot of us are because we've had it whitewashed really from whatever culture we have left
0: well so that's what feeds the so like what what we have in film and cinema in the united states is something called american gothic american gothic is the idea of suburban houses um usually after a place has been industrialized and so you'll have the american gothic which is people who are living in suburban homes usually like in an an area but they are sad They're not doing well. And the reason why is because they're directionless most of the time. They have have no one religion. They have no one set of traditions outside of your American nuclear family, which was you got married, you had two kids, you had a white picket fenced home. And that's all you did.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and once you get there, then what?
0: Yeah, you just live in there, and then you just get depressed. So like yeah, the American guy that came out of Yeah. we have housewives drinking wine and yeah. popping quaaludes because right.
1: they have nothing else better to do. Well, this is
0: why you have like Stepford Wives yeah. movies and and it's like things where weird shit happens in neighborhoods. The Twilight Zone fed off of this, so it's different. So what we're seeing in international film is a return to rural areas and the adapting of folklore to modern storytelling in this case you get the retelling of an Oni demon showing up but also the director is dealing with his own Christianity and faith dealing with this film as well right. so he has all these elements combining together to create the whaling which I think is why people found it so successful that he was able to accurately depict how someone might feel mm-hmm. and whether or not they would believe what was happening right because you like we got convinced at least twice that someone was a bad guy when they weren't really the bad guy
1: mm-hmm. and I feel like we haven't talked a whole lot about that aspect of the film right. by how this film consistently points to someone else as being the bad guy yeah they have like
0: red herrings all right throughout.
1: but I wanted to just kind of touch on that a little bit and introduce some of the other characters yeah so we have our main man the policeman um I don't think we really discussed this much but his daughter becomes sick suddenly yes and he was investigating a case where some people had suddenly fallen ill they got this weird skin blemish and then they went crazy and started killing each other Mm. and so he sees his daughter have this rash and she he starts to notice changes in her personality and her behavior and so they solicit the help of a shaman now the shaman is different from the Japanese man who is also a shaman. The shaman is a younger man who we find out eventually was actually working for this
0: Sony Demon. Yeah, so they were definitely working together. I couldn't really figure out what he gained out of it outside yeah. of maybe getting paid to perform certain rituals
1: or maybe he had some sort of contract with the oni demon yeah maybe he that asked seems for more something. likely yeah i feel like he probably asked for riches or success yeah. because he seemed to be a very pompous asshole you yeah. know? and yeah. in return he had to help him with some errands like taking photos of his victims yeah blah 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 luring them into certain situations
0: well i know this is super common for uh somebody who like you mentioned is um making the deal a pact Yeah, because because that's at at certain points in their, I guess, life cycle, a demon may have certain powers that they can grant to you or give you gifts or things like that. And Mm -hmm. so striking a deal is not completely out of it, uh, out of, you know, believability. But also that the shaman knows that there are people who are going to request his help and so he can make money out of it. And so, I mean, of course, this is like the most offensive thing you could probably do for that sort of spirituality is to fake it yeah and to just be like no like i'm gonna help you like light this on fire and run around your house It'll i don't stop think he was thing.
1: necessarily faking it all the time but at True. a certain point he did set them up for failure yeah
0: yeah mm-hmm. it's i think one of. i think some of the d- more disturbing elements of the film is the like discovery of certain things that might be affecting someone such yeah. as um like a dead animal inside of their um soy sauce, soy bins. sauce? yeah when yeah. the
1: shaman shows up he is trying to locate the source or some sort of um charm that is causing them misfortune and he finds this dead crow in a soy sauce bin
0: yeah which they've all been eating yeah so it's like oh nah, like Nasty. that kind of stuff gets get like kind of gets in your skin sometimes
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, But then I also wanted to talk about this other mysterious ghost character. Yes, woman. woman. Yeah. Yeah. Who keeps showing up in random places. But we figure out eventually in the movie that she appears to be hunting this old man. Yes. But we can't tell if she's supposed to be the good guy or the bad guy. Because at first, she hints the main character to the old man as being the villain. And then at some point, the villain points to the woman as being the actual thing going around killing people
0: right well she's she's definitely powerful yeah like she's able to just make that guy like she repels the the other shaman at some point he like vomits
1: he, like, projectile vomits <laughs> like a fucking
0: hose. Yeah. It's just, like, Gnarly. so powerful to be able to do that to affect someone's body.
1: But she also, there's an interesting point at the end of the film where she was trying very hard to protect the daughter yeah. and the main character from this only right. demon. And she set up wards around the home which in the beginning of the movie, you'll also see these wards, a uh, pair of some herbs that are hanging over their gate, yeah. and you'll see that when we see the first victim at the beginning of the movie, right. you see they've, that same uh, ward.
0: They've kind of like um, not rotted, but like wilted. They've wilted, yeah, yeah.
1: And that was because they didn't follow through with what she had said to do yeah and same thing happens here is he's kind of stuck between this choice of knowing that his daughter is in imminent danger but being asked to wait in order for the spell to take hold yeah this is the the
0: faith moment you have to take it on faith Mm -hmm. and he he she's asking him to believe in her that she actually protected the child and that he needs to stay there
1: right but there's so much mistrust that's been sown throughout the movie it's impossible for him to make a really good decision
0: they both also deal with Um, an innocent person becoming possessed or taken over by some sort of spirit or multiple spirits. And this really has a lot to say about um, people who might get influenced or affected by something that happens to you.
1: Right. Definitely. And I'm excited to get into the second movie, but let me wrap up this first section of the wailing with one more question for you. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about some of the villains. Now we know that the old man is truly the villain. He is the only demon. So what did you think about his methods throughout the movie? How did you feel about the way he was costumed, his acting? Uh,
0: So I'm always a fan of um, people starring older actors. Definitely. Um, There's just something about uh, being able to see an aged person deliver certain lines. Mm -hmm. In this case, he has a very interesting looking face um, that has like deep crevices on his face
1: i was gonna say this is something interesting i saw as well in squid games yeah is that the main villain turned out to be this ancient wrinkly old man and i think it just goes to show not to underestimate someone ever for their age because even though their bodies may seem frail their minds have had decades of knowledge packed into them right yeah you never know who you're dealing with
0: he does a fantastic job uh when he is acting as the demon yeah the final scene is like spectacular this is like some filmmaking that I like will get super excited about yeah because it was very minimal on costuming you just had claws some teeth and then maybe a little bit of like a horn and uh it he changes as he's talking to the man because the man comes in there to kill him and he's like what makes you and he tells the young man he's like what makes you think that you're gonna leave this cave and then takes a photo of him and then as the camera goes up and you get more photos, you realize that he's changing and that he is actually the demon and that the guy's in danger. Yeah. And so this is a great f- switch on who is actually in danger, who's the weak one, who's the powerful one. And in this case, it works really well to show him, but not do too much as far as like like he didn't transform, like he didn't become a huge hulking thing. He was still the the like smaller-ish man. Yeah. who was still crouching like he doesn't even stand. Because it's it's also giving an idea of what the playful demon is like.
1: Yeah, I noticed that moment was sort of a play on power and yeah. kind of misleading on who's in control yeah, of the exactly. situation. Because the guy that comes to kill the Oni demon, he thinks he's in control of the situation. Right. He thinks he has the power of God on his yeah. side and everything's oh, going right, to come yeah. through okay. While the old man is sitting just smirking at him the whole time knowing full
0: well what Smiling he's capable of. Smiling behind the camera. To display a power dynamic where you are looking down at an evil character and they're still scaring you, yeah. I think is why the filmmaking was so effective. I know. And you can be yeah.
1: powerful even in a submissive <laughs> position. Yeah,
0: exactly. And people will often be blocked this way in filming to give you that emotion. Yeah. And in this case, I think it was very purposeful to put him in that position and still make him kind of a terror <laughs> for what you're watching. And so these are elements that worked well for the film and really draw you into. What's going to happen? And that's a great ending, I think, for the film. I was really satisfied yeah, with me that too. ending.
1: <laughs> so now that we've gotten to the ending of the film, right? let's go on to our second film in our double feature.
0: Yeah. So this is going to be The Medium. Came out in 2021. It was directed by um, Banjong Pisanthan. I'm sorry, Pisanthan Okun. <laughs> it's a it's a long last name. He's known for the film Shudder in yeah 2004. This is an American-made film. Mm-hmm. Um, so he came over got people to allow him to make the film and he made shutter which was actually pretty successful i think
1: there's another version too that was also done in japan
0: uh yeah someone picked up the film or the Mm. idea at least which is kind of an older idea that Uh like a bit of you is on the photo that you can capture spirits on photos and things like that that movie's great because i think it ends up being that the girl's like literally on his back and so when he captures photos he can see her yeah. on him and that's like she's gonna be with him forever uh-huh. Is like <laughs> essentially the premise of that movie he also made the movie alone which came out in 2007 both horror films yeah and so something that's interesting is this is a thai and south korean mockumentary supernatural horror film yes yeah, so mockumentary is really of, important here
1: it's kind of done in like a mockumentary blair witch found footage style yes like yeah. some of it's kind Parano-like of like found footage especially towards the, towards the end, it becomes yeah. much more found footage. But in the beginning, it's set up as this documentary. And honestly, the first like 20, 30 minutes, it's really believable that yeah. it's a documentary. I kind of forget that
0: it's not <laughs> real. Um, the screenplay was done by Shantavit Danasevi and Na Hongjin. So it was co-written. And the film was shot in um, Loe province in northeast Thailand or what's known as Isan. Um, There was a split in the country. And so some of the names ended up changing because like some of it is Laos or what used to be Laos. Yeah. And then changed and there's a lot of wars. So it's like you'll usually find a natural divider is the river that kind of like splits through. And so the reason why this is important is because um, people from a particular area in Thailand will be very specific about yeah. where they're from. So it's like if you ask somebody they're not going to be like, "No, I'm not Laos. <laughs> yeah. I'm from a certain area and it's important." Mm-hmm. And so it's good to mention it whenever we're talking about some of these people. Um the languages though included in the film are different. There's going to be Thai, um as well as Isan, and Isan being a dialect of the Lao language. So uh-huh. you get a really specific dialect for the film that kind of places you in an area. So if you know mm-hmm. your geography and your history well, it makes sense they're very accurate as far as where they're where they're placing you yeah um there's a few people the main characters there's uh narila uh gulmon gulmon kolpek as ming uh utuma as nim uh sarani yankitikan as noi and Yasaka Chasorn as Manit. And so these are going to be your main characters um, that are within the story. It really doesn't go further than these four or five characters.
1: Yeah, the cast is very simple. Of course, there's extras that show up. But as far as dialogue and plot, yeah. it's really just surrounding these small group of people.
0: Um, I think this is sort of like your golden number for when you're making a film like this. Horror films, by nature, just can't have that many people. Yeah. Because then you don't really get attached to these people, and then it becomes your classic 80s slasher film.
1: And the plot gets a little too, like, diluted with all of the other subplots and characters that are intertwining with each other.
0: So usually it's a core group of people, um, which is different than, like, say, your survival story. Slasher films were designed around the idea that there was going to be somebody who survived the entire ordeal, and it was mostly made for fun. yeah. In this case, you have a, a very different family dynamic that plays out that is similar to The Wailing. Mm-hmm. So I think these both kind of came out similarly.
1: Yeah, so the style of this movie is definitely a lot different from how The Wailing was portrayed. Yeah. Um, so why do you think this film was made in a mockumentary style? Like what was the point of presenting the narrative in this particular way?
0: I want to say it's because the director just really liked you know, the Blair Witch Project and other things like that. And yeah. the style made sense to blend together something that's real and something that might not be real. Um, I have my own criticisms, which I'll talk about at some point. But like I like you mentioned, watching the beginning of this film is incredible. Mm-hmm. The first 20, 30 minutes of this is so highly believable that I would have thought I was watching a documentary if no one told me it was a fake film. Right. Because of how well done the interviews are. So they, they set it up where it looks like they're interviewing a woman, a shaman, in the in one of the villages and her work with the people and what it is to be that and the deity that she worships as well is I believe kind of like fake. You, it's not
1: Well, this is an actual I don't think it's an actual deity, but yeah. to them it is like the deity of their town, right. of the area in particular. What I mean is
0: like in like in real life, like is this something like a spin off of it's Another hard d- to say, yeah. honestly,
1: because there are main like gods and deities, and yeah. then there are lesser spirits as well, like hundreds of thousands of them. So That's there fair. could be a spirit that Bayan was uh, yeah. created an image of. Yeah.
0: I do think it was done to draw you into the story, yeah. so that you become very invested in these characters. I was very upset that a character dies. Yeah. Um, spoiler: the one of the main characters dies, um, like pretty early on in yeah, the film. We'll and get to that. Though. And you're just like, "What the fuck is happening?" Um, but yeah, I think it was presented in that way so that um, I also believe that they did it this way so that the narrative would naturally fall apart. That it would then become outrageous. It would become something that was like completely different from what you had originally yeah, started watching the
1: film really did unravel and become more and more unhinged as yeah. it went on yeah not only in the like what was happening but also the way it was filmed seemed to become uh the quality decreased uh, like really low res became shakier it became much more blair witchy yeah than it did documentary
0: <laughs> definitely
1: so um was the change in the quality of the visual recording like purposeful do you think it was meant to uh, call to the Blair Witch Project in reference to them?
0: Yeah, I think I think it directly called to the Blair Witch Project as well as your Paranormal Activity movie, which if you haven't seen it, go watch Paranormal Activity, the first one. Oh, yeah. The first one is incredible. It's, it takes
1: place in San Diego, it too. It takes place in
0: San Diego, like right near <laughs> us. Um, it may have been parodied too much at this point, but that first one strikes okay. on something completely original at that time in horror, and so much so that it's considered to be like a sort of
1: um it kind of pioneered it that pioneered genre. that genre
0: and it's a touchstone of certain horror genres which include the found footage um so that one i think it w- i think what they did was that they wanted the beginning to start off as you understand what's happening it's very clear it's believable but as you go on because the um, quality lessons because people become more unreliable because more outrageous things happen you start to not believe it so much and so I think it was intentional to make everything fall apart on purpose but it's hard to stay in touch with the story and to be to go with the pacing mm-hmm. I got really disconnected like in the middle of the story where it changes because I was so in tune with the believability of the beginning of the film
1: yeah I think Something that kind of just came to me is I feel like this is almost a representation of how much people are willing to believe in the supernatural. Because I feel like there is a certain extent to which people are willing to accept certain things happening. Yes. Like getting a sense that a spirit is around... getting, say, foresight of something about to happen. Mm-hmm. I feel like those are things that are more acceptable. But going so far as having somebody being possessed by a spirit or having someone physically transformed because of the spirit possession people are not really willing to accept, it becomes a little bit more mystical and unrealistic to them. Yeah. But I, there are people that would argue against that, that would say that this is a real thing that can happen at some point. And so I feel yeah. like this almost parallels that sort of uh disconnect or unwillingness to believe well in the extent some, uh, of the supernatural
0: there's some dark i think there's some dark histories and unexplained things throughout different cultures that we are still not really you know in tuned with like yeah. i think there are definitely some secrets like the vatican no doubt is hiding a lot of oh secrets oh my
1: god i have a huge like personal conspiracy theory that i really <laughs> want to say really really quick i'll try to be quick I promise. okay so hear me out Alexandra in Egypt was known for being a city yes. of scholars. Yeah. They had a wealth of knowledge there. Yeah. Tons and tons of texts from all kinds of cultures spanning hundreds of thousands of years. Now, this information is really powerful, right? So if somebody had control over all of that information, they would have all the power and siphon it away from everybody else having access to that knowledge. So I firmly believe that when Alexandra was, quote unquote, burned, way way back in the day that a lot of these texts the important ones were kept or maybe they had made copies of them and burned the rest yeah so no one else would have information on that and then all of that information was transferred to the vatican which has a crazy underground catacombs which no doubt could fit a lot of hidden texts. well they and have
0: so they for sure have a library yeah they for sure have stuff that was saved and some in some cases only one copy exists and it's there mm-hmm. but in some mysterious cases they have an area of the library that nobody can access aside from the pope yeah and so what is it like this ca- like what do, could you possibly have in the vatican library that no one else can see
1: i feel like it's some attack on titan
0: shit and if
1: you <laughs> yes. haven't seen all of attack on titan you at least gotta what's watch come it. out you need to watch it spoiler where spoiler alert i'm going to talk about it a little bit is in attack on titan we would find out the true origin of humanity yes. and that it had essentially been brainwashed from everybody living on this mm. island yeah. completely detached from the fact that there's a whole other continent that they just weren't aware of for right. however many hundreds of the years the
0: scope of the world goes from singular island to many different places yeah to there's no bad guys and good guys
1: (laughs) and they have this really intricate human history of how Mm. their race came to be it came out really good i firmly believe that that is some of the information in the vatican because that's the only thing i can think about that would be so groundbreaking that they would have to hide it from everybody is the truth behind humans where did they come from how are we created
0: yeah the idea of hidden knowledge and what it could about is always been a cool topic i think for any storytelling um although in many cases for catholicism and uh, christianity in general they're like responsible for just tons of violence the crusades like you end up having several countries affected by the colonialism of learning christianity and all of the like uh, roaming priests and monks and people who wanted to share this with everybody like really forcefully mm-hmm. so like they're involved with so much culture that it wouldn't be beyond you know thought to that they grabbed a few things and brought it back and didn't share it with anybody yeah
1: exactly and so this is why then, they have
0: so much power consolidated
1: and then they rewrote their laws right. for christians for christianity so they would not question where they came from yeah they changed the birth of humanity from being hundreds of thousands of years in the past to being only a few thousand years ago. There's some people alive today that believe the earth is only like 6,000 years old. (laughs) Wild. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you believe the earth is only 6,000 years old, you won't go looking for any knowledge from
0: before that time. You know? Conspiracy theories. We'll talk more on our conspiracy hour. (laughs) Yeah. We got to bring that
1: back because we got a lot. Uh, But let's continue on with the... (laughs) the medium
0: yeah definitely
1: all right so where were we
0: um we were we were just talking about what was it like calling to why was it made in that style yeah
1: we're talking about the Blair Witch Project and paranormal activity but so since we're talking about these other horror movies I want to ask is this film truly horror like did this movie scare you did it disturb you in any ways
0: um I feel like it got me at the beginning because it was more mysterious about the way that it presented its horror. Um, don't get me wrong; the first time I saw like Paranormal Activity, terrifying. Because I don't like the someone's watching you aspect of something like that. Because um, I feel like if I'm ever on my own and like I hear weird noise, like oh you no, know, someone's watching me. No, same.
1: <laughs> so I'm just like, uh I've gotten into the habit where if I feel like something's off, I'll watch the cats, and if they start acting weird, I know right. something's up. Yeah,
0: usually a pretty good marker for things like that. Uh-huh. Um, I think it becomes less effective for me personally towards the end of it when things become very outrageous and like you start seeing the full on attacks possessions it turns into like six different horror films like it's like a zombie film it's like a zombie survival film it's an apocalypse film it's a demonic film it's a demon possession film it's you know like it becomes so many things that like I would argue that they shouldn't have done that and that Mm -hmm. they should have if they like if they really wanted to go through with the found footage style they should have had um you know just like one camera maybe and let that sort of become really distorted and make surreal things happen but it's like I didn't even know how many cameramen there were until like they all start getting killed and I'm like oh there was four dudes there like (laughs) it starts getting kind of weird Mm -hmm. and something that like I know it's not supposed to be about believability but like it sucks that the beginning is really believable and then the ending is like, eh. Like, I don't really know if I'd believe any of this stuff that would happen because they kind of were making up this new rules that they would follow, right, for like how they deal with stuff. So I wasn't too happy about it. But I know that as a rating goes for this film, it didn't receive nearly as high as The, as the Wailing did. Yeah, definitely. Um, what I was really interested in was that it depicts kind of your supernatural like generational curse or blessings in some cases um bayan and the like uh, asatia family curse so so bayan from what i understood was like um it was like entering certain women's bodies yeah and like they would then be a conduit for that spirit Mm -hmm. so like what is it trying to say about like generational curses and why is it sort of like popularized now like this is Ooh, becoming more popular and yeah. like popular media because they like they want you to acknowledge certain things have happened and Ooh. that people are suffering from the results of this
1: right so a couple of things i want to just briefly talk about the Bayon and the Risa family so Bayan is the spirit that uh Nim is the shaman for and yeah what she explains at the beginning is that this spirit is attached to her family in some sort of way and so there's one member who is always the shaman and when that member passes the spirit will move on to someone else and they will become the shaman
0: yeah in this case it's not really like a possession
1: yeah it's seems to be more of a voluntary thing yeah. and so we have um uh, This other character, Ming, who was supposed to be the one who received, uh, no, sorry, uh, Nim's sister, her sister, who is uh, Ming's mother, was supposed to be the one who took on Yan's spirit, but she didn't want to be the shaman, and so she ended up rejecting the spirit and passing it along to Nim. She also turns to Christianity. Yeah, she also turns to Christianity, and then Nim was sort of forced into the role of being the shaman. Um, So there is a little interesting thing there, even though it is a blessing, you know, it's still something that's kind of forced upon someone. You don't really have an option for how your life gets it turned out because when you become the shaman, that's what your entire life has to be or else it'll literally kill you. Because if you don't accept the spirit, as we see throughout the movie, it'll cause horrible physical pain, physical ailments to the body. Um, But then we have uh, the Asatia family, uh, who is another family that's involved with Nim's family. I believe they were married. To the, uh, Nim's family. Yeah. And the...
0: Um, the men yeah. are experiencing like some sort of curse.
1: Yeah. All the young men in the family seem to keep dying of like, right. horrible circumstances, which we found out a lot of them have actually died from suicide, which we'll touch on that yeah. a little bit more later. Well, it seems that
0: in the case of their curse, they were paying for something.
1: Yeah. Uh, their family uh, in one of the wars that had happened in Thailand were uh murderous people and had beheaded over a thousand men yeah and so because of that accumulated pain they have to then repay for generations to come yeah and all of the men in the family end up going crazy they they mentioned karma yeah. In
0: these cases. So we
1: have these two examples of the generational curse and the general generational blessing. Um, but why I wanted to talk about this is because I hear this becoming a topic more and more about generational curses, uh, specifically in regards to generational trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of ways we can go about generational trauma. One from within the family, but also from within an entire race, an entire yeah, culture. Race and culture. And so, uh, from my perspective, the Black perspective, you know, uh, yeah. Black Americans had suffered for hundreds of years. We still suffer to this day. The rule of uh, oppression, yeah. slavery, just awful torture that was we had endured for hundreds of years, and because of that, collected trauma, that collective experience. There's a lot of. Um, things that will now come up in our generation now, even though we are not necessarily enslaved in the same way, we still may experience that pain, that fear. And it comes through in depression. It comes through in forms of substance abuse, all kinds of ways. Um, And I had had a conversation with my professor recently. It was kind of interesting in generational trauma from the white perspective, which plays into the way that we are seeing uh, sort of this racial combativeness between Caucasians and people who are black again. Yeah. Which is a whole other conversation of political topics. But what he was talking about is when we look at European history, Europeans, especially medieval times were notable for their torture. They had hundreds of thousands of torture devices.
0: Yeah. There was like, they and they, they were brutal.
1: They were constantly tearing people apart, boiling them in oil um, public executions all of the time just awful brutality and so he said that because of this history of violence within white culture that has translated into their generational trauma now and why we tend to see white people being more aggressive towards oh, other races yeah uh, more combative because they're carrying that trauma yeah. from all of the pain that they had inflicted on other people mm-hmm And so I thought it was interesting to see this sort of represented in a more uh, theatrical way in the movie, Uh, something that's a little more obvious to see. But these sort of things exist and not really something that's talked or hasn't been talked about in years past. But we're having these conversations now of how to break those generational cycles, that generational trauma, and move away from it to sort of reset sort of that generational accumulation of either trauma or blessing.
0: If you've never heard of this idea, there is some popular articles and readings that you can go and get kind of your general sense of it. You can just go to Google and type in generational trauma and you'll get something out of it. One of the biggest ones you mentioned is the leftover and the effects of four, or 500 years of slavery in the United States, um, specifically with black people. And then also with what that means for our society at large and how we created the systems that we're currently in. Yeah. For one big example, which I won't explain too much is that policing or the creation of a police force was originally designed to capture runaway slaves. Yeah. So by nature, policing in the United States is discriminatory against black
1: people. And private prisons were established around that same time to re-enslave The freed slaves or enslaved people,
0: which we have a version of now in your prison industrial complex, right? (laughs) Exactly.
1: Bailey Sarian has a great video on this. She has a a dark history podcast that she does, and she talks about where the private prison system came from and how it was a direct response to the Emancipation Proclamation. But that's a whole other topic. You should definitely look into. It's, It's all
0: connected. It's good to know your history. Um, it also deals with many of the indigenous peoples that are here in the United States. Um, we're now getting popular media and new film and the futurisms of certain cultures. We've had Afrofuturism for some time, but it's starting to become more focused on the generational trauma. There's also go- like versions of that people are creating of what does a post-colonial Americas look like. Mm-hmm. And so I think Jordan Peele's dealing with a post-colonial version of horror yeah. that deals with uh, what he has termed as settler horror, as in who are the mean and evil people, usually white people. And so they're dealing with, uh, how does a modern society deal with being close and friends with somebody whose ancestors did something terrible? And what does that mean for them as well? So this is dealing specifically in the movie, I think, with what's happening to the family in regards to their karmic power, as in because they did so much evil is it now circling back to them and specifically attacking the men right. like it's trying to get rid of their lineage in some way yeah and so i think that's really what they were getting at for the film was that um also i don't know if we just kind of like missed it but i think there was like an incestuous relationship with yeah the brother and the it was
1: it was mentioned very briefly yeah. and it wasn't actually directly mentioned more like an assumption was made and that was about it. But yeah, there was some sort of incestuous relationship between uh, Ming and the brother that passes away in the beginning of the movie. Yeah.
0: So one of the biggest things that really drew us into the movie was the belief, the faith that she has in Bayan and whether or not she is going to be the actual conduit. And is she actually helping people? And so I wanted to ask you, what do you think this particular film says about faith and like, how does it affect the characters?
1: Right. So this movie is a little bit interesting about faith. I feel like it's almost questioning the validity of faith and when we can apply our faith in certain situations. In this case, kind of what sets off the whole movie is uh, Nim's sister, the Christian sister, does not have the same faith as Nim. And does not study the religion the practice in the same way that nim does and so yeah. she's a little bit ignorant to some things and so what happens is she's starting to compare what's happening to her daughter ming to what she was experiencing when bayan was right. trying to enter her body is the physical pain the physical ailments and she sees her daughter getting to the point where she could die if nothing is done yeah and so against nim w- nim's wishes she decides to do uh an acceptance ceremony
0: yeah which is super important in this case because you get sort of a uh, difference in opinion of why they should or should not have done that
1: right and so you have uh nim's sister moving away from her original faith trying to take on something else that she has not really studied or learned about and having it completely backfire on her because in the middle of the ceremony nim stops the ceremony because she believes that Ming is trying something is trying to possess Ming that is not Ba is another sort of evil spirit and so when Nim pauses the ceremony or stops the ceremony from happening this uh, I think somebody had mentioned puts Ming in a vulnerable and open state to where she could be possessed by just about anything yeah and so that wavering of faith too. that wavering of faith in that moment kind of set off this chain reaction of events that just turned into complete disaster and so but she was trying to be faithful to something but it was the wrong thing in that moment
0: yeah oh definitely i think she ends up um so i i very much believe that you can set yourself up to be open and vulnerable to things that are not good for you especially Um, if you're
1: unprepared and uneducated on what these things are
0: this could be anything from entities floating around to people's not so good energy, maybe even dark or negative energy in some cases, because I, I think people definitely throw that out. Oh yeah. To other people and affect them that way. Um if you're looking for a more sciencey approach to this, um, people have done research on the frequencies that come off of people and how that changes. And yeah. how different crystals and stones have different vibrations and how they affect being near you and mm-hmm. how they might change things. So it's not like completely out of nowhere. They are there is like some science to this um but yeah this this seems to affect them in a really big way and i think the story plays out really well for for is it min the the shaman yeah 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 so once you get to like that sort of like ending end credit scene where she's kind of doubting whether or not she actually had Bayon inside mm-hmm. of her. And, you're, and that changes, I think, the whole film yeah. for you. I think that really changes how you feel about it.
1: I think it also changes our perspective of Nim because when we see Nim throughout most of the movie, she is this very heroic, pragmatic, knows what she's doing, does yeah, not mess Yeah, she's convinced around.
0: that she's doing the right thing.
1: Yeah, but it is possible that she was misleading herself and actually ended yeah. up making things worse because of that. Right.
0: That's, I think that's what they were getting at, was that she, uh, after believing her and being so attached to her, she may have been an unreliable person. But I think this also opens up the possibility of thought for both sides of how people feel about spirituality and whether or not things are actually happening, and whether or not you're actually feeling certain things. People claim they talk to God on several occasions, so it's like, do they actually speak with someone? Like, are they, like you know, do people speak with their own deities that they worship? Do they mm-hmm. visit you? Like, you know, these are the kind of things that people always discuss and you either really believe it and you have that faith or you don't.
1: Yeah. And I think in a lot of cases of these things, it's sort of like, in my personal experience is like, you have to experience it to really believe it. Cause you can hear about it from other people and sure it sounds interesting, but it still has this element of, uh, not being tangible, it's sort of a yeah. fantasy. But when you experience these things for yourself, it completely changes everything. Like I know, I had grown up a Christian Episcopalian, yeah, and I at that time firmly believed that there was some sort of uh, om- omnipotent God, right, that was watching over everybody. And I tried to talk to them, I tried to make contact, and I never felt anything, yeah, you know, but in my later years after i'd moved away from that religion it's possible that that
0: god just didn't want to talk to me that just wasn't the god for me <laughs> i you mean know? right yeah that's that might be one of the feelings yeah you get.
1: but later on when i was starting to develop my spirituality i started diving into more older religions more pagan religions yeah. um and connecting to different and older deities i actually did feel something i felt connection and i felt like i have was able to make contact being communication with these deities and like it's such a weird explanation i probably sound crazy talking about (laughs) it but like i've asked them to do things to prove their validity things that wouldn't have been able to happen any other way and they it's happened so all i can say is in my experience like i do believe that these beings exist i've spoken to them if they've assisted me and i work with them yeah, But to someone else who has never experienced that, it sounds like complete myth and fantasy. And that's okay. Yeah, know? It just hasn't happened in their world yet.
0: Well, in some cases, people have other things that will bring them some calmness and uh, validity validity to what they are doing in their right. own life. And so in many cases, they will not seek out people and be like, that's fake. They'll yeah. just be like, it's just something that they don't participate in, I guess.
1: Yeah, you know, some people really ride right, science as sort of a religion yeah you know for some people science is their religion yeah
0: there's also it, what's interesting is that there are scientists who are also religious yeah which is a an interesting blend of things they're they're essentially trying to validate their religion with the science of their research yeah there's which is an um, interesting way to go about certain things
1: uh, where i grew up actually there's a christian science church in the area oh, wow. <laughs> that my grandfather started attending at I'm some point i'm so
0: curious about how they deal with evolution yeah me too And origin stories
1: I never went to any of their sermons, so honestly, I don't even know what yeah. their religion really looks like, but, you know, that's a thing. I guess it's more popular than one might assume. Yeah,
0: because I think at some, it's a whole other thing, but, like, yeah. you know, that, that there could be a difference in opinion of what they think <laughs> about the certain things like that. Right. Yeah, I get you.
1: Uh. So, anyways, I wanted to ask, yeah. how do you feel that international directors handle spirituality and religion? And why did they combine these elements with horror in this way? <laughs> I feel like they
0: almost always do it better. Yeah, um, that's for sure. Uh, being raised in American culture, um, I know that we deal too much in individualism. We deal too much in nationalism. Um, and we almost always are secular in our beliefs. So in most cases, Christianity, Catholicism, accounts for a humongous amount of the population in the United States, which usually involves you going to school. In my case, I went to a Catholic private school Uh um, from kindergarten, preschool, all the way through to high school. So I had the formal religion classes where they teach you certain things. Um, And then ironically, I popped out the other end and was like, I hate all of this and I don't want to be a part of it. Um, I think what international directors are doing is taking a bit of their own spirituality from their own country, combining it with certain things. But the reason why it's being made in the horror genre is because a lot of it is unexplainable. Um, A lot of it scares people. And I think a lot of people have that fear of the unknown. And so for them, this manifests in a way where they can combine certain horror elements to give you a real representation of what you're scared of. Uh And so in some cases, who wouldn't be terrified of a spirit entering your body? and you being possessed, losing control of your, your free actions, and being able to have your free will taken away by something like that. Yeah, not having your own bodily
1: autonomy.
0: Yeah, and I feel like while we do value individualism in the United States, the grander system that we live in does not care about the individual. So we have kind of a a paradox happening within our own belief system where we're like, I'm super important, I'm going to be super famous But then like the way that we're set up is that it's not going to happen in most cases. And so you end up turning to one of these things, which is religion in many cases. Um, You know, it's built into our culture. Like you go to any hotel, you find a Bible in the damn dresser. Yeah. Um, You go to a hospital and there's a crucifix on the wall. Yeah. In most cases, there's going to be the crucifix. So we're also a very young country. Yeah. United States, been around, I don't know. Three four hundred years,
1: as it is the United States. Yeah. Of course, there was a culture that has existed yeah. on this land right. for a very long time before the colonizers yeah. came. But so yes, we, the United yeah. States, as it is established now, is only yeah. a couple hundred years old.
0: What I'm getting at is that we don't have a whole lot to pull from unless you go into your own cultures. You go and look at South Korean culture, Japanese culture, Chinese culture—thousands of years of history. Of folklore of stories of myths and legends that show up that they can then pull from to create something and so in a lot of ways the storytelling is much deeper and I don't know what it is but like I feel like uh Asian filmmaking they have it dialed in on how people are feeling like they understand yeah. character creation in a way that I think is not typical of countries elsewhere And so like you get a lot of really good storytelling and world building from stories that come out of this area, I think specifically because of the long history.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so
0: you end up getting really interesting adaptations of uh, old folklore into modern cinema, which then creates these horror kind of genre blends of what it is that they're experiencing. And in this case, you've had sort of your possession and demon type thing turn into something new and i think that's why they're both successful they both work well yeah. although i'm not as happy about <laughs> the the ending of the medium but it's personal preference and i think people did like it 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 makes me think of um the sequel to vhs yeah cuz it deals in some demonic possession as well mm-hmm. so yeah i i think they're 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 handling it based on their own cultures and how they kind of piece these things together to make something original mm-hmm. and that's kind of what we're all i think looking for we're looking for some more originality in our filmmaking compared to remakes and redos of things that exist in the horror genre.
1: You know, what's interesting is I'm starting to notice a trend with films that are coming out lately is that the horror or the subject of the film seems to be more relating to aspects of other cultures, you yeah. know, like we talked about Prey recently, which talks about horror in the aspect of indigenous cultures and i feel like for a long time we were really just seeing horror movies coming out of like you had mentioned suburban reality yeah you know suburban housewives being terrorized Man, we love by the haunted house in the or something. United States. <laughs> yeah exactly but now we're starting to move past that point and looking to other places for inspiration and aspects of our own culture that can be horrifying
0: yeah um uh black mirror is very good at this Mm -hmm. um it's a dystopian kind of horror where what is the potential of technology in our lives and how can that create new horrors
1: because i think that really is sort of a staple i guess you could say of american culture is the industrial technological aspect to it yeah that was sort of something that we became forerunners in the economy for yeah what we're creating and what we're producing
0: um so this makes me think about how how these like connections worked in the film, and I was curious if you felt like one film did it better. Like, did they handle the connection with folklore and modern interpretation better than what you would ex- would have expected?
1: I think one film certainly goes into more detail of yeah. the folklore than the other. I feel like the wailing, although the shamanism and the culture was an important element of the film, it wasn't necessarily um, necessary for the film to continue on. Like, if they had not mentioned anything about the culture or the lore, it could have still been a, a good movie. Oh, you gotcha. Know? Whereas the medium, the culture, the lore, the religion, the spirituality was very much a part of the film and yeah. could not exist without it.
0: They did construct, like a smaller version of their world mm-hmm. inside of the film to operate off of.
1: And I think because it was done in, uh, the medium was done in a more documentary style, as it was meant to be informative. It was meant to showcase certain aspects of a culture that a lot of us foreigners don't oftentimes get to see.
0: Yeah, we, oh man, um, the guy who directed um, Parasite.
1: Yeah, I was going to say Parasite. Bong Joon-ho, yeah.
0: the guy who did Parasite, He mentioned how a large amount of the American audience does not watch international films simply because they don't want to read subtitles. Yeah, God. Once you get over the feeling and not wanting to watch subtitles, you will open up yourself to a humongous world of filmmaking that is really good. Um, Asian cinema, specifically like China, Hong Kong, uh, Japanese, South Korea, They've just been making crazy good They're stuff. They're killing it. Yeah. I, although recent in recent years, I think it's become more popular because of streaming services like Netflix mm-hmm. going in and getting, you know, branches of their service in Korea and Japan. I like, think you know,
1: also sort of the influx of more Korean media becoming popular is also due to the K-pop invasion.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah. The, the popularity of K-pop brought around all of the things related to it.
1: And if you think about it, it's the first time that a foreign music industry has really become like a huge thing in America. Oh, totally. Because in our industry history, it's always been American musicians that have been at the forefront of everything. But now we have groups like BTS, Blackpink that are on (laughs) our Billboard Top
0: 100s. Yeah, it's no mystery that... South Korean film filmmaking has become very popular because they just make so much. Yeah. Like you go and look at the sections on certain streaming services of Korean-made films and TV, there's tons of it. Tons of stuff being made and the quality is always really good. So like the history of filmmaking in the country has been very strong. They also have government funding in most cases. Yeah. So like they care about their filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And so this is why you'll see some really good stuff showing out of there. And I think... Horror in particular, is a well respected genre as far as the filmmaking goes in these countries. And I think it's because it comes with a bit of the people who believe in it and it also comes with respecting the unknown thing that might scare you. And that is very much different for an American audience who really wants jump scares, a different type of like fear making, yeah which is kind of a funny thing to say, but like there's a way that people go about filmmaking, when it comes to the horror genre in the united states
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i've definitely noticed that that i feel like american horror is very adrenaline based yes like they want you to jump in your seat they want you to scream at whatever yeah jump scare is
0: like the business for most of it
1: (laughs) yeah and if you can have a moment of genuine terror where you feel like you're unsafe where you are like that's how you know you've accomplished something whereas yeah, I see in a lot of other foreign films is they, the horror is more in examining certain aspects of our day-to-day lives that we don't normally examine.
0: Yeah. Oh, definitely. So, For example, yeah. our
1: connection to faith and how that yeah. influences, us is, influences us to do either good or bad things.
0: Yep. And I think this is going to be the question you mull around in your head as you're listening to what we're discussing as well as watching the films themselves, which are definitely worth a watch. And so I think we're getting... Closer to the end here now. Yeah, we've been We're talking little, for slightly like, over time. Mile. But it but I do want to ask, you've gotta have some favorite scenes. Yeah. In both of them. I what guess, stood out to you?
1: I guess if I could pick favorite scenes from both movies, my first one from the Wailing would be the scene where the shaman that is working with the oni demon yes tries to come to the house to warn the family of this woman oh yeah yeah but she shows up instead before him and causes him to projectile vomit (laughs) like a fire hydrant yeah
0: it just leaks out of him
1: yeah i love that moment just because i don't know there's something very satisfying of seeing this man like crumble and just seeing the powerful magic that right. this woman is capable of producing, I don't know, it was just very striking to me and very unsettling to watch.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: and then in the medium, I found the final scene of the movie very interesting, where we see the brief um, interview with Nim right before she dies. Spoiler: alert, she dies.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, like in her sleep. Which is kind of a weird thing. They got a yeah. name for it. I can't remember it right um, at this moment.
1: But I liked that inclusion of the scene because in the last moment of the film, they managed to make the viewer change the way they feel about everything. Yeah, It was like one final loophole that they throw at you. Oh,
0: yeah. So they, they really do change how you feel about the ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely.
1: And so I thought that was a really powerful piece of filmmaking to make yeah. us go back on what we were feeling yeah. for the last couple of hours oh, watching. yeah.
0: There's a great line, uh, a great piece of description from um, an older director that says that every single piece of dialogue that you should include in your movie is a fight. It's a battle. Yeah. And that you should feel like you're on someone's side and it keeps switching. Yeah. And that's really what truly makes people involved with film in a way that's unique. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like that that works really well for when you're watching it, you believe one person then you believe another one. And then mm-hmm. you kind of get a different feeling every time yeah. somebody presents new info to you. <laughs> um,
1: what about you? What are your favorite scenes?
0: The the, the ending scene of the Wailing is fantastic. The mm-hmm. re- revelation of the Oni Demon. The way it's revealed um, all around is a good way to do that. The, the cinematography for the scene is great for a low light setting the angle that you have where you're changing the power dynamics of what you usually encounter having an old and a young actor in the same scene, but also just to have him be so mischievous and playful in an evil moment. Yeah. Always plays well for me at least because it really gets at the idea that there is no predefined notion of evil and that in most cases they very much enjoy being evil yeah. and doing what the we things that they evil. do. Right. And then their kid in his case, um, he was he knew he was gonna eat the guy (laughs) in the cave so like that that worked out really well for uh the medium um i gotta say i really liked the moments before nim dies when like she goes from being a very stoic heroic person to like literally just losing it when she sees a the her statue of her deity has been beheaded
1: oh god yeah
0: and it's it's scary because like you know i don't know if it's just me but like i feel like defacing any sort of spiritual statue no matter whether or not you like it or not it's just gonna be bad omens for you like it's not good to do stuff like that so like when people destroy temples and things like that like I don't ever think something good's going to come out of that. And so oh, definitely emotionally, not. it was effective for me in that. And I think that's what translated to a lot of people who watched it.
1: Yeah, it was definitely an emotional moment for me too. Because as someone who works with deities, I know how strong that relationship, yeah. that bond, that respect you have for right. that spirit is. And to see someone deface them, defile them in such a way, it's as if, someone beat up your best friend you know someone disrespected your friend you would feel a sense of hurt for someone right, being so exactly uh harmful to them yeah you know?
0: so then what are your final ratings of both films
1: this one's hard because there are a lot of things that i like about both movies and some things that i don't like but again i feel like it's always difficult for me to put my finger on what i don't like it's So with the whaling, I would have to give it probably like an eight. Um, I thought it was really interesting. Um, It had a really good way of keeping me interested and involved throughout the film. I thought the pacing was pretty good. There weren't a whole lot of slow moments or areas to get lost in. But I think I wanted a little bit more clarity on the relationships between the characters and exactly who these characters are. Um, I think that's part of the mis- the mystery of this film is that you really don't know who anyone is exactly, just who they say they are. But yeah, I'd like a little more subtle hints of who to believe because I feel like it was really <sighs> hard to piece together, even with everything that was presented to you, how things clicked together, how things made sense. And so just a little more clarity in that is what I would ask for. Um, and then for the medium, uh, I know we had discussed this earlier, but at some point in the movie, it just became completely unhinged and chaotic and there's a lot of stuff going on at once. And so I'm going to give the movie a seven because I thought the beginning of the movie was really strong. But at some point, I know the it was intentional stylistically for it to become unhinged. Right. But I feel like there was a better way that it could have gone about doing that. Yeah,
0: I agree. I think... I think for the whaling i also want to give an eight and then a seven for the medium as well um i wanted more context out of the whaling mm-hmm. but it was already a long film yeah so it's like it would be hard to include certain elements so i understand why they cut it a certain way um they did actually cut out a scene from that where you get the confirmation that the demon was in fact working with the shaman. Yeah. So that was the thing. So that was definitely something that they acknowledged and that would have helped, I think, to express what was going on in the film. Mm-hmm. For the medium, man, I just I just don't like it going into so many different elements. Like for like five minutes, it's a zombie film. Yeah. And I was like, what is happening? Like, wh- why did this happen this way? Um, and so I would have preferred it really stayed the course, Of one narrative Um, I think uh, as like a writer and knowing how certain things happen when you get to an ending of something you're writing it seems that it what happened was you didn't know what to do with the ending so you let everything happen yeah as in every idea you had got condensed into the story and then it creates something weird Um, and in this case it takes you out of it because then it becomes an absurdist thing where like you're just waiting to see what is the next crazy thing that'll happen, mm-hmm. as opposed to watching something and dreading something that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, a similar effect is when you see a monster and when you don't see the monster during mm-hmm. the horror films. So these are really things that'll change out your feelings towards the film. Right. But we've reached the end of talking about these two films. It's, this episode's a little longer. Than some of our others have been but it's because we're discussing two films Mm -hmm. double feature i don't think we'll do double feature every single time but i wanted to for this one yeah and i just wanted to remind everyone that we're super easy to find you can google bringing down the Grindhouse" and you'll be able to find all of our social media sites so we are available anywhere you can stream podcasts and we are on facebook we're on instagram twitter and we've also got stuff for sale so you can go and buy our merchandise we have all of our links in our profiles You'll be able to take you to buy some hats, some mugs, a uh, t shirt with a cool logo on it. Uh-huh. We've also got our uh, 16 32 bit version of us and our chibi version of us yeah. <laughs> on Which a We'll
1: have to come up with the new design too. Yes. Season four, brand new merch.
0: Yeah, so. Get ready. What we're hoping to do is to rebrand a few things. It's very possible that our logo might change. Um, maybe even the name it's possible our name might change um these are all things that we are sort of thinking about and looking to move forward with
1: uh more streaming we plan on doing that probably not every single episode but expect a few times a month at least to see our twitch stream up
0: oh yeah definitely um if you can rate us on spotify it's usually just a button and some stars you don't have to like leave uh, any comments but if you do want to leave us some comments Go and leave us a rating on the Apple podcast Yes, this is going to help us get viewed and our ratings going up. Means more people are going to listen. Yes, and as it stands now, we're commercial free. <laughs> so, like, you get a solid block of us talking about this yeah. So it helps to get the following tell a friend about it, go and listen to us, and that. We'll but that's pretty much everything yeah. we have for tonight. you got any last thoughts?
1: Um, go watch these movies. Yep. My fuck <laughs>
0: And I'm done. Thank you so much.